We are, we are just in this new year. We're, we're, we're asking this question, and we kind of dove into this question last week about change because we, we, as we go into the new year, we always, we always look at change, right? We look at things that we can do better. Yesterday um, was my day of kind of getting things ready for, for, for tax preparation. Aren't those fun days, right? So I've got all the receipts all out, and, and my oldest son, Colby, who's in college, walks by and goes, what are you guys doing? Why is it taking you so long? He has no clue yet. He's got no idea what's in store for him, right? And so getting ready, getting prepared, getting ready for, 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 for the big tax day. And, and so that was, that, was my, that was my exciting day yesterday is preparing for taxes and getting all those receipts out and realizing we spent way too much money at Target. So that was my day yesterday. And, and, and we, we look at our lives and we, we, we say, what, what are some changes that, that I need to make? And, and what, what can I do differently? And usually those changes focus on us. What, you know, I need to do this. I need to lose weight. I need to get out of debt. Um, you know, how can I get all my kids out of my house? How can I keep them from stop eating? Um, what can I do to get peace in my house? Oh, my goodness. Four teenagers, God bless me, are... Oh. I'm keeping Wegmans in business, by the way. I just want to let you know that. And tops, just with four teenagers. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to look at this new year a little bit differently. And I want this to flow um, into our missions week. And, and the question we asked last week was this. Instead of asking the question, what needs to change in me? Because usually that's the question we make with all the New Year's resolutions and so on and so forth. I wanted to ask this question. And this is a question that we posed last week. Instead of asking what needs to change in me, let's ask the question, what needs to change around me? And, and see, that really, if we were to look at the Gospels in the New Testament, that is really the question that Jesus posed to his disciples and those that followed him. Yes, Jesus would change us. Yes, Jesus would change our lives. Yes, Jesus, we would find forgiveness of our sins in him. But Jesus says, listen, it doesn't stop there. Because if it stops there, how many know, then I just start living for myself. But Jesus posed this question. What if when I change your life, you begin to look at your changed life and begin to look at how can I change others' lives? And that's really at the crux of the gospel message and the mission message to go into all the world and make disciples. And I think there's a, I think what happens many times in our Christian lives is we understand the message of Christ and what he came to do for us. And that's wonderful. And there's my changed life. But all of a sudden, how do you know it's easy to get into our Christian walk and we get into this rut and, it, and our lives become stagnant and, and we say, is this all that the Christian life is all about? Is, is there something more than just coming to church and, you know, paying my tithes and just trying to live a good life? And, you know, I listen to K-Love on my radio and, you know, I'm trying to do the right things. I read my Bible. But is that all there is? I want you to say there is so much more that God wants to do in your life than what you see right before you. And I believe that's the message for us to go and to change people around us. Now, it's fine to get healthier and to exercise more. All those things are, are good. Um, but I want us to see outside this self-improvement for just a moment 
And I want to look at the things that, that maybe bother us or the things that we see that need to change or the things that, that might break our heart. Because um, I want us to see what are, the, what are the things that when we hear something, it gets me worked up or I get emotional or I get fired up about this thing. And, and I began to think of it this way. I said, at the end of my life, when I go on and, and I go to be with the Lord, I think, what, were, what are the things that I would want people to say about me? Or what would the things that I would want my life to reflect at the end of my life if people had to speak at, at my memorial f- funeral? What are the things that people take notice of? What are, what are the things that I've sacrificed for? And the interesting thing that I've noticed, because being a pastor, either I do a lot of funerals, I go to a lot of funerals. And and the common thread that I notice in mostly every funeral that I go to is when someone speaks about someone's lives, you don't hear very often about the person's accomplishments. I don't think I've been, I've either done or been at hundreds of funerals, and I don't think once I heard someone say, they had 15 bowling trophies. I don't think I've ever heard that. I don't think I've heard anyone say they had this many, they did this, they did that, they had this many trophies. I don't think I've really heard that. But what I do hear is this. I do hear how they touched people's lives. What did they do in their lives that made a difference in somebody else's life? How that person's life made an impact and the person that was sharing. Those are the things that you do here. Those things take your time. It's those things that will cost you something. It's, it's are those things that you might have to take a risk. And see, when I get, get to the end of my life, that's, I want to look back and say, did I take risk? Did, did I make a difference in other people's lives? Did, did I answer the call of God? Did I take responsibility for the great message that Jesus had given me? And did I live out the purpose that God has called in my life? It's not really about the accomplishments. We forget about those things. But what we do remember is the impact that people have made on our lives. And I remember um, I was thinking back years ago, maybe five, ten years ago. I was thinking back because um, I came to Christ in 1982 when I was 16 years old. And I was thinking back. I, I became very sentimental. I began to think, who are the people that truly impacted my life? And then I began to think many times we'll share how that person changed their life after they die and we eulogize it. But I said, there was one person that really made a diff- couple people that really made a difference in my life, very formulative in the beginning of my walk with Jesus and my Christian walk. And I just said, you know, what? I'm going to write that person a letter. Just write them a letter and thank them for being a witness. Thank them for reaching out to me. It was a neighbor of ours um, and he would just stop by the house once in a while and say, hey, Barton, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And then he, was, uh, he would share his testimony, and he would travel a lot doing this, and he would take me to go with him before I was a Christian. Really, really made an impact uh, in my life before I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I wrote him um, a letter and just said, hey, thanks for living out your testimony for Jesus. Um, you made a difference in my life. You made a huge impact in my life as a teenager. And um, this person died like two months after that. And I was so glad 
Because so many times I miss the voice of God. Don't we all do that sometimes? We just like, we're always beating ourselves up. And I was like, man, thank God that one time I listened to the Lord. Um, and I was so glad that I did that. You see, that's what makes a difference. People make a difference. People reaching out to people make a difference. And that's really at the heart of what Jesus tells us to do when he tells us to go. And what we did last week is we looked at the life of this person in the Old Testament, Nehemiah. And, and, and Nehemiah lived hundreds of years before Jesus stepped foot on this earth. But Nehemiah was a very interesting character because Nehemiah uh, was part of this history of Israel that was very sad because Israel, because of their waywardness of God, God judged them and exiled them to other countries um, through Assyria and, and Babylon, eventually Persia. And, and, and Nehemiah was part of this exile. And so because of that, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was just destroyed in 586 BC. And it was really disheartening because that was the center of their worship. The destruction of the temple was, was really symbolic of the destruction of their lives and the waywardness of their spiritual lives. And so Nehemiah was a godly man who was a cupbearer to the king of Persia and had a very prominent position. And he was very interested in what was happening back in Jerusalem because he knew that Jerusalem was pivotal to the heart of God, that God wasn't done with Jerusalem, that just because the temple was destroyed doesn't mean, didn't mean that God was not going to restore broken lives. And so there was something that pricked Nehemiah's heart that said, I've got to make a difference here. And so Nehemiah, living far, far away from Jerusalem, still had compassion for what was happening back in his homeland because he knew that represented the spiritual lives of God's people. And so we looked at what, what difference did Nehemiah make in his life. And I want to read for you just Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 today. And I want you to see what happened in Nehemiah's heart and how he answered the call of God to make a difference for Jerusalem and, and listening to the Lord and allowing God to speak to his heart. And so here's, here's what happened in Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, here's Nehemiah's prayer. It said, The word of Nehemiah came to the son of Hecaliah in the, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. So here these men are returning. They know what's going on in Jerusalem. They, he, he was very interested in what was going on. And so he said, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem and also about Jerusalem. I, don't, I want you to see this because this is key. He was very interested in the city of Jerusalem. And he said, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the providence and are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, they are broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And here's what happened. When he heard this, he said this, I sat down and I wept for some days and I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. This news literally broke Nehemiah's heart. He wept and mourned for days, the Bible says, and he confessed, if you read on in those passages, he actually confesses his sins and the sins of Israel because he knew why um, the walls were broken. He knew why Jerusalem was in such destruction. It was because of their own fault, because of their waywardness for God. It was because of their sin that they, 
caused all this destruction. And then God allowed these countries to come in to judge them. And he was very interested in Jerusalem. And, and, and Nehemiah understood what was going on. And, and the interesting thing about Nehemiah, he sees the destruction. He sees that they're in dismay. He sees that they're discouraged. And Nehemiah could have done nothing. Um, he could have blamed everyone else. He could have said, hey, that's, hey, we messed up. You know, there's a lot of blame to go around, but it's our fault. And he could have been very content in his position before the king, this very prominent position that he had. He could have been very content and said, you know what? That's what we got coming to us, and that's fine. But something happened to Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't, he wasn't set. He wasn't comfortable. Um, even though he had a good job, nice family, a bass boat, all this great stuff, he just wasn't set. He just says, you know what? Something's wrong. This disturbed him. This bothered him. Something wasn't right. Listen, when we get comfortable with the way our world is today, something is wrong. When we are not disturbed with what we see going around us or, or, or the pain that people are going through today and the hopelessness that we see in our world today because people have been trusting things that have not made them content. And, 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 and we're tell, the world's telling us, hey, do this, do that, and the other. And people are realizing, this isn't helping me. Why am I so discontent? Why am I, well, I'm not heavy. Why am I depressed? Why am I, why, where can I find the joy? That should bother us because we know that we have the answer. And so Nehemiah received something here from God when he heard this news. And he received this divine calling to do something or to make a difference. And so this is what I want you to see. Nehemiah's burden for Jerusalem was birthed out of a divine call by God, which led him to pray and fast and seek the face of God. And so what happens is he begins to hunger for God when he hears this news. Um, let me just remind you just real quick. Um, we gave you a 21 day uh, prayer guide. We have more in the back in the basket back there. If you weren't here last week because you were sleeping in from new year's Eve, Shame on you. No, I'm just teasing. Um, make sure you pick that up. Those, I, I spent some time working through that. I pray that you guys are using those if you picked them up last week. Just a very simple guide, scripture, prayer guide for God to deal with your heart. Those are free. Those are in the back in the basket. Please pick, pick those up because I want you to hunger after God and hunger after his word. Um, and so here he is. He's hungering after God. And, and, and I, heard, I heard one pastor say it this way, Andy Stanley. He said, the essence of following Jesus is self-denial, not self-improvement. And so all of a sudden we see, we see Nehemiah. There's this self-denial of himself and saying, you know what? I've got to put something aside here because God's been burdening my heart. I, it, it's, it's not settled. It's, it's not right. Something has to change. And so Nehemiah did two things. We see that he prayed and that he relied on God's word. You see, Nehemiah understood something through God's word. He understood the plan of God. He may not have understood everything or in the future, but he understood one thing, that God's plan was to restore. He knew that the destruction of Israel was not right, that it needed to be restored. Now, he didn't understand the future implications of him answering God's call, but he did anyways. He didn't understand the whole plan completely, but he understood God's plan. He understood something's not right here. 
And, and these broken walls need to be restored. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 1, going down a little further in verses 9 and 10, this is what Nehemiah says as he's praying. And he understands God's plan. He understands this much about God. And it was this. In verse 9, it says, But if you return to me and obey my commands, this is God speaking to Israel. And then even if your exiled people are in the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. That is the place of Jerusalem. Let me read verse 10 and then I'll explain this. Verse 10 says, they are your servants. And so he speaks. He says, they're your servants, your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and by your mighty hand. So Nehemiah is speaking back to God, saying, God, you've redeemed these people. You haven't forgotten about them. Even though there's this destruction, even though they were scattered, your word says that you're going to bring them back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem represents the heart of God, that God is going to restore, that the brokenness was wrong. This, the, the, the brokenness represented uh, the waywardness of Israel. But God says, I'm going to bring you back. If you come to me and you turn to me, I will bring you back and I will restore you. Nehemiah understood that much. Now, what I want to do is, here's what's so cool about this calling that Nehemiah understood. Nehemiah is reminding God of his promises to restore Israel. So he knew that much. He knew that God would restore. And so the place that God called his own was Jerusalem, that's the place that God calls his own. Isn't it incredible that this little teeny country of Israel is still there? Do you know why? I'll tell you why. God is there. And God will fulfill his plan. So for those of you who are sitting here and say, okay, Pastor, fill me in because I am clueless here, okay? I'm not sure how this all fits in. So let, let, me, let, me, let me state to you why this is important. Now, Right now you're saying this sermon makes no sense to me, Pastor, but it will in a minute. Okay, so just hang with me. We're going we're gonna to tie all the loose ends together. So God is calling this place his own. And so Nehemiah may not have understood the future implications of why he had such a burden, but God did. And sometimes God will place a burden on your heart and you'll have no idea what the future implications are, but God does. And so all he asks for Nehemiah is to go and to follow the burden that's on his heart. Now, he didn't understand the book of Revelation. He may not understood all that was going to happen in the future, in this new Jerusalem that eventually would come. But he understood God's burden on his heart. So he said, I've got to do this. I've got to fulfill this. So that is why he fulfilled this burden of God's heart, because God was working in him and through him. So Nehemiah obeyed the call of God. And so this call was to make a difference. And this difference would affect the future. So I want you to see the significance of Jerusalem here and why Nehemiah had such a burden for Jerusalem and its city. Why did this bother him? Why didn't he just go on with his life and say, enough with them, you messed up, you walked away from God, let's move on with our lives. Why was there such a burden? Here's the reason why. Jerusalem is significant to biblical prophecy. And through the Old Testament, we see prophecy after prophecy of a Messiah who would come there. 
who would come to Jerusalem. Very, very symbolic place. It would be there in Jerusalem, Jesus would ride in on a donkey, that crowds would yell, Hosanna, Hosanna. It would be there that very same week that Jesus would be arrested from false charges, convicted and killed for our sins. It would be there that Jesus would be buried in a borrowed tomb. It was there that Jesus, three days later, would rise from the dead and conquer sin and death for us. It is there Jesus will return, not to die, but to proclaim that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. What Nehemiah was doing, which he may have not have known at that time, was preparing the way for the Messiah. Do you realize that when we reach out to other people and we, we were through God's grace and his mercy, restore lives through the message of Christ that we're preparing people to meet Jesus. That's a pretty cool calling. You see in heaven, I'm not going to be a pastor. Don't say amen. Okay. (laughs) Right. Okay. You're, you're not going to have your occupation. What are we going to be doing? And what are we all doing? We're preparing ourselves for the great banquet that God is going to prepare for all those who love him. That's what we're preparing for. And so that's our calling. Our calling is to be ambassadors, Paul says, of reconciliation to bring those who are far away from God back to him. That's what Nehemiah was doing. He was an ambassador for God to go and help restore that very place that God was going to bring those people back to restore their lives. And that's what you and I are today. Let me read for you Revelation 19. He, uh, John, the apostle, gives, he's, he's exiled to the island of Patmos, And he's given this great vision of what the future is going to be like. And this is really cool. John gets this future image of what is going to be like in in heaven. And so he gets this vision of Christ returning. And let me read for you in Revelation 11, 16. And, And he gets this vision of a rider on a white horse. So for you that like horses, I got good news for you. There's horses in heaven, okay? I don't know about anything else. I don't know about cats. Well, definitely no cats. There will be dogs. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing, you cat lovers out there. So let's look at Revelation 11. Here, here's this vision. It says, I saw heaven standing wide open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus with justice uh, and, and judges and makes war. His eyes were as blazing fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Ooh, I like this. gets me excited. The armies of heaven. So I'm going to be on my donkey right behind him. All right. The armies of heaven were riding behind him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. And he treads in the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. That's who Jesus is. He's going to come back to this very place and rule as Lord and Savior and King. Now, Nehemiah may not have understood that way back, but what Nehemiah was doing was preparing the way of the Lord. Nehemiah's obedience would be significant, would be significant in fulfilling biblical prophecy that would come years later. It would be from Jerusalem. Here's how important Jerusalem. It would be important. It would be important for this reason too. It would be from Jerusalem that the church was started, that the church was launched into this world. There would be the Acts tells us that 120 were gathered together in Jerusalem, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come to empower them to be witnesses in their world. And because of their witness, you and I are sitting here today because they answered the call of God so that you and I would be introduced to Jesus some 2,000 years ago. Luke 24, 44 through 49 says this, Jesus speaking to them, and here Jesus gives them instruction on what they were to do. He says, he says, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds that they could understand the scripture. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and he'll raise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning where? God restoring his people started in Jerusalem. You are my witness of these things, and I'm going to send you to my father, as I promised. But stay in the city, stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.8 tells us, once again, Jesus speaking these words and encouragement. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, what made Nehemiah different? Well, we may think that, well, he was some super spiritual person, but Nehemiah was just, he was just like you and I, just like you and I. But he answered the call of God and he understood the vision of God to restore. And that's what fueled him and propelled him to do this great thing and rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem in such a quick time. And so God empowers the early church with the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowered the early church with this vision to go out and to restore people's lives through the power of the gospel message that Jesus came to forgive and heal, to forgive and heal us of our sins. And so how do I obey? Here's the question. Let's make it practical. How do I obey? How do I obey? How do I allow God to move in my heart? How do I allow God to speak to me so that I have that compassion in burden for the lost around me. Because it's so easy to lose that in our world today because so many things can crowd our attention and just muffle God's voice speaking to our hearts. Nehemiah was no different from you and I. And so I believe there's a couple things here. Number one, I believe that we need to seek God's presence. I believe that Nehemiah understood the presence of God. He placed himself in a position where he could seek God's presence and hear from the Lord. Now, I don't know, I don't know about you guys. Um, I don't play fan, fantasy football, but I know there's a lot of people that do. And uh, the interesting thing as I studied about fantasy football is I would probably be the worst fantasy football player ever. But um, the one thing that I, I, as I looked into it, it says, you, you know, you got to join a league, you got to draft players, you, 
You've got to make moves to improve your team. You must know the players. You've got to know the stats. You've got to follow the games, the website. It, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a huge deal, especially those you, that, 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 that do. It's an, it's an investment. It's a commitment. And see, and I, I think when we want to know God's presence, it's a commitment. It says, God, I, I'm going to commit myself to doing this. God, I want to know you. God, I want to commit myself to the body of Christ. I'm going to commit myself to studying your words. I'm going to commit to, to allowing you to speak to me through your word. I want to place myself in that place where I can hear from you. And so be committed to allowing God to speak to your heart, and he will speak to your heart. I believe another thing that Nehemiah did was he understood he sought and he sought God's word. So we need to seek God's word because God's word is, 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 is vital in allowing us to hear what he wants us to, to understand and what he wants to speak to our hearts. You see, Nehemiah understood God's word. He knew the promises of God. He, he, and so in order for us to do that, we've got to commit to read God's word and to get into a good, good Bible study. And I, and it's more than just this knowledge. When you read God's word, you understand the heart of God and the plan of God and the redemption of God for mankind. And so the Bible, many people think the Bible is, is difficult to understand. It's not, it's not from the very beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter one through three, we see the plan of God and chapters one through three explains everything. God created us. We brought sin into the world and God had a plan for redemption to save us. And so through this whole time, God was developing this, developing the theme through the Old Testament that eventually would lead up to a Messiah that would come, God himself incarnate to walk this earth to show us the way back home, to show us the way back to God. And so what we see is we see at the beginning, we see the, this perfect state in the garden and that's, it's two bookends. In the garden, it was perfect before sin entered the world. And then we're going to see this new heavens and new earth at the end. And you can read that at the end of Revelation. So basically, the theme of the Bible is God restoring that which was broken. And what I love about the, the book of Nehemiah is that he was seeking things that burdened his heart. And so what I want you to do is I want you to seek the things that has burdened your heart. I believe that's God speaking to you. When there's a burden that's placed on your heart, I believe it's God speaking to you. What's interesting, there's not one time in the book of Nehemiah do we hear God commanding him to rebuild the wall. Not one time do we hear God speaking to Nehemiah saying, hey, I command you to go and rebuild the wall. No, what happens here is God speaks to me Nehemiah's heart. He didn't make Jeremiah do this. He didn't get Nehemiah or Nehemiah, I'm sorry, in a headlock and say, you've got to do this. Nehemiah's heart was open to the call of God. It's interesting in Nehemiah chapter two, verse 12, Nehemiah begins to chronicle what begins to happen as he begins to, to want to travel back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall. And it says this, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few things with me. And I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart. For Jerusalem, and we took no pack animal with us except the donkey I was riding. I love this part. It says, "And I had not told anyone about the plans that God put in my what heart." 
And so what happens is he had this burden. He knew what God's calling and plan was. So it was in his heart. He felt compassion for this. He felt motivated to do this. So then he began to answer the call of God. See, when missions becomes a passion, you will do something about it. When mission becomes a passion, you will do something about it. Out of the 40 miracles recorded in the book of Acts, only one happened in the church. Everything else was outside the four walls of the church. There was a guy, a Kodak, that led my dad to the Lord back in the late 70s. Go figure. And then a chain reaction began to happen in our family. See, I want you to begin to open up your hearts for the next two weeks as we begin to, to enter into this mission week. And I want you to realize that missions is not about other people going to other places. Missions is about reaching out to people that are hurting. And that is what missions is all about. It's about restoring lives that are broken. And so the next two weeks, I want to ask God to prepare your heart. You see, Nehemiah may not have understood everything hundreds of years living before Christ. But because we have the word of God, we know what God will do at the end. And here's what we know. Revelation chapter 21. Here's a picture. It's a picture of a new Jerusalem in Revelation 21. A picture of God restoring all that was broken because of sin. God used Nehemiah at that time to restore that which was broken. Listen to these words. I love these words. I read this many times at funerals because this gives us hope of what it's going to be like in heaven. Here's this new Jerusalem. And here's what's described for John as he gets this vision. It says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with, is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, or taxes. Somebody give me an amen. Amen. And here, here's, here's the clincher. Are you ready? Here's the clincher. For the old order of things has passed away. For the old order of things has passed away. God makes all things new. I want you to realize that your life is not a mistake. God has brought you here for a reason. God has been calling out to you, wanting you to hear his voice and to answer that call for your life personally. But not only that, but he wants you to go out and he's going to burden your heart. He's going to burden your heart. And he wants you to answer that call because he wants to use you to restore lives. There's no greater purpose than I believe that's in our lives than to restore broken lives. You are placed in your job for a reason. There are people around. I know it's hard because you go to the rock quarry every day and Mr. Slate, he's, he's a slave driver, right? We, we get this idea of just like, man, my job is so boring. I do the same. But let me just say this. If you can look at your job as you're on mission, you'll look at it completely different. Realize that there's people all around you that are hurting, 
that are looking for answers. And you're the one that God is calling. Let God burden your heart. Begin to pray. Begin to seek God's word. Begin to seek God's presence. I guarantee he'll give you a vision and a passion that will change the trajectory of your life. That you will begin to live on mission. And I'll tell you what, when you begin to live on mission, it changes your heart and life. It gives you a joy and a purpose for why God has called you here. I am... I love the story of David Livingstone. I don't know if any of you know who David Livingstone is. He was a missionary in Africa in the 1800s, did incredible work there for the Lord. I don't know if you know the background story of David Livingstone, but it's interesting. He was from Scotland, and he wanted to study to be a medical doctor. Uh, Background was from very meager background, didn't have a lot of money. And so basically he put himself all the way through college, and he got accepted into medical school um, in London. And uh, while he was there, he heard a message from Dr. Robert Moffat. And Dr. Robert Moffat was a medical missionary to Africa. And in his memoirs, in his writings, autobiography, David Livingstone heard something that he said that burdened his heart, that changed the trajectory of his life, that called him into missions. Because up to this point, he really didn't have a burden. But there was something that he said, and this is what Dr. Robert Moffat said. He goes, I've seen something in my life. And I have something that I've seen. I've seen this in the morning sun, the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. Those words burned in David's heart. And what he did from that moment on is he left his career path and he joined Moffat to go to Africa. And David Livingstone traveled some 29,000 miles telling people about Jesus in Africa. David Livingstone said this, God, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. My prayer for you today is that your heart would be burdened with the things that burdens God's heart. And I believe Nehemiah is a wonderful example to us. And I want you to realize this, that Jesus has not left us alone, that Jesus will give you the burden, that Jesus will give you the heart for people. And I know people are irritating. I know people can just, it's just, people can be people, right? Right? If it wasn't, for people, the church would be a great place, right? But it's not that way, right? It's just not that way. Um, God loves people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for us. And so begin to ask God over the next two weeks as speakers come in, God, what are you calling me to? What are you burdening my heart? And let's ask the question, not necessarily what needs to change in me, but what can change around me? 
use me to change other people with your love. Let God burden your heart again if you lost that passion because he's the one that can give you that passion again. So Lord, we just bow our hearts before you this morning. We thank you for your word. God, I just pray that you would begin to speak to our hearts today to realize that you've called every single one of us to go on mission, to be your feet and your hands extended in this world. There is no greater calling, God. And Jesus, you told us all to go into all the world. And God, I just pray that we would realize that this world is hurting and they need to hear those things. And it's so, for all of us, including myself, it's so easy to get sidetracked on petty little things that mean nothing when it comes to eternity. Help us to turn our eyes away from the things that so can easily attach us to the things of this world that can make us lose track of what our mission is all about. So get us back on mission. Get us back on track again, God. Begin to speak to our hearts. And we have no idea what the future holds for those who answer the call of God. We have no idea how hearts and lives will change generation after generation for those that answer the call of God in their lives. So God, give us that ambition today as we just seek your face. Thank you for your word today. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord and just let him speak to your heart today. God bless you.